is happening, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 105 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and you just heard another new intro track. And for the sake of full disclosure, I'm a little biased toward this one because this track came from... I guess we can call him my cousin-in-law. He's married to my cousin, Michelle. This was from James McCaffrey. Really like what James was able to put together. Of course, I told you guys I'm going to try to limit my opinions because I want to get yours without polluting the waters or anything like that. But obviously, you know, James is my guy, and I'm really glad that he was interested in contributing. Great musician, great guy, big Rangers fan. And I'll have you know I'm very proud of him for this. My cousin, Michelle, I can assure you, was not, at least to my knowledge, much of a hockey fan before she started dating James and married James. But now, as she told me the last time I saw her, she is able to name, at least what they were at the time, all four Rangers lines. So James has done some really impressive work there, and now Michelle is hooked. So good news all around. We also got a new Rangers fan in the family out of that. So thank you, thank you, thank you to James. And we will continue rolling with another intro track next week. I still got a lot more lined up. And so I'm excited about the way that this has been all falling into place. Our guest for this week's episode is going to be a familiar, not face. Well, she is a familiar face, but you're not going to see her, obviously, because this is the podcast, but a familiar voice for many of you. And that would be Michelle Gingris from the MSG Network. You guys have definitely seen Michelle in the last couple years working, doing interviews at intermissions, post-game locker room, pre-game stuff on the ice. She has become a go-to source, a go-to voice on the MSG Network that you see pretty much for every home game. And she's someone that I've gotten to know a little bit in the last couple years, someone who I feel like we've both leaned on each other at various moments to talk through what it's like having a young child while trying to juggle these crazy jobs. So Michelle's just a really nice person, and I'm happy to have her on and let you guys kind of get to know her a little bit because she is still one of the newer members of that MSG broadcasting team. So we're going to hear from Michelle in just a little while. I just got back from practice. I'm flying to Carolina in the morning. Going to spend tonight, Wednesday night, with the family, watching the little guys. So my fiance can go out and actually have a dinner with some friends, which is very rare for her during the season because she's constantly at home with the little guys. So I'm going to do her the solid tonight and then get up pretty early tomorrow morning so that I get to Raleigh in time for the Rangers morning skate. The Rangers have one more showdown with the Hurricanes, the first place Hurricanes in the Metro Division. They played them at Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night. Ends up being a 3-2 loss. Obviously, that game did not go as planned for a while. It looked like, holy smokes, the Rangers are about to post their third shutout in a row. Igor Shosturkin has been outstanding. He's been on a tear recently. And even though it was pretty clear for a lot of that game, especially during the second period, that the Rangers were not playing their best and that Carolina was dictating the pace of the game, Carolina was spending a lot of time in the Rangers zone and Carolina was peppering Shosturkin with, I think they ended up with 39 shots. 
it felt like Igor was somehow going to pull this one out for the Rangers. But then all of a sudden, the final 10 minutes of that game were crazy. I had to rewrite my story like four different times. I was joking with Capo Caco about this in the locker room after practice on Wednesday that for a moment, I thought the top of my story was going to be about Caco scoring the winning goal, and then I quickly had to throw that out. But basically, Carolina scores three goals in the final 10 minutes. All of a sudden, the floodgates burst wide open. The Rangers definitely had some defensive breakdowns and mistakes along the way there. Definitely hard to pinpoint that on Igor, considering how well he played throughout the first 50 minutes of that game. But the Rangers just couldn't pull it out. And to be honest, the mood in the locker room and definitely the vibes from head coach Gerard Gallant after the game were that they felt like they didn't play well enough to win. They felt like they got what they deserved. Gallant harped repeatedly in his post-game press conference on Carolina playing quicker than the Rangers, the Rangers looking slow, the Rangers not winning enough battles, the Rangers not competing hard enough. So... To him, and I think the players in large part felt this way as well, they didn't really take it to the Hurricanes in the fashion that we had seen in the previous four games. Now, obviously, Carolina was a step up in competition compared to the teams that the Rangers beat during their four-game winning streak last week with the Capitals, the Penguins, and the Predators. So clearly a step up in competition. Clearly a reminder that the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, whether you're talking about Carolina, Boston, you can throw Jersey into that mix, Toronto, and Tampa Bay, those teams are going to be handfuls for anybody to deal with in a playoff series. And the Hurricanes definitely fall into that category. And again, we've talked about this before, team speed is an area where The Rangers, I think, have made some improvements, but they're still not up there with the fastest teams in the league. And when you get a team that swarms you on the forecheck the way that the Hurricanes do, that can cause problems for the Rangers when they're not clicking in other areas. And I thought it was especially evident on Tuesday night that the Rangers were having trouble breaking the puck out of their own zone. It seemed like A lot of that was resulting in either turnovers in their own zone or turnovers in the neutral zone, and it seemed very difficult for the Rangers to really get much possession time at all. Much of that game was spent in the Rangers' zone. It was putting a ton of pressure on Shesterkin. He held up to it really well for, I guess we could say, five-sixths of that game, but ultimately it comes back to bite the Rangers' In the end, now I would honestly be more concerned with some of these matchup issues, and I do believe that Carolina is a difficult matchup for the Rangers, but I would have more concerns about that if it hadn't been for the recent history, which we know dating back to last year's playoffs, the Rangers beat them in a playoff series. They've proven that as good as Carolina has been in recent years, and they have really been the class of this division, especially for the last two years. They, they won the regular season first place title last year, and it looks like they may be on their way to doing that again. I don't think the Rangers are intimidated by this group. I think they've proven clearly that they can beat them. I certainly don't think it would be easy if they were to face them in the playoffs, but at this moment, 
I would pick the Rangers in that series. And in a best of seven series, I believe the Rangers, with all the talent that they've assembled and with the distinct edge and goaltending that they have, I would still feel pretty good about the Rangers' chances of beating Carolina in a seven-game series. And you also have to consider that the Hurricanes are down one of their most important players. Andrei Svechnikov is out for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. He is, I think him and Sebastian Ajo, you would probably say, are their two most dynamic forwards. So they're missing a really key guy right now. This team, because of the coaching from Rod Brindamore and the system that they play and the buy-in that they get, I think they, more so than maybe a lot of other teams, can afford to lose a key guy and sort of keep the train rolling. But talent-wise, the Rangers are clearly the better team, and the Rangers have proven that they can beat this team. So I, I certainly don't think that this is any reason to hit the panic button. That was the message from Jacob Truba after the game as well. He, he clearly noted, hey, we didn't play well enough. We didn't win enough battles. That was definitely a point of emphasis, I think, that they heard from the coaching staff and then was repeated to us after the game. But he also said, look, it's one loss. And we have to definitely take into consideration what had happened prior to that one loss. A bad night does not negate all of the notable progress that happened last week. Let's not forget, because I know it's easy to fixate on the most recent result, but let's not forget what we saw last week, the most dominant week of the season for the Rangers. They went 4-0. I mentioned they beat the Capitals, they beat the Penguins twice, and then they they routed the Predators on Sunday by a score of 7 to nothing. They posted back-to-back shutouts over the weekend, first against the Penguins on Saturday and then against the Predators on Sunday. And those games weren't even close. The Rangers were racking up five, six goals in the first period in those games, and it was basically a walkthrough the rest of the way. They dominated those games. They went over 170 minutes in total without allowing a goal, and they also exploded offensively. A lot of guys were contributing we definitely have to ask, I, I probably should make a point of asking Mika Zibanejad sometime soon, what is it about the month of March that just ignites him the way that it does because he's been on fire, but it's not just Mika. There have been contributions from everyone up and down this lineup from the first line to the fourth line. I think Jacob Truba is a guy who we have to start talking about more. We all know he had a rough start to the season very up and down overall this season. The goals against numbers are pretty bad. If you look at it in totality, especially if you look at what it was in the first few months, but in the last week or two, he seems to be turning it up. He's talked about this is the time of year when you want to ramp up. And it's not just the physicality. We know that he brings that, but to me, he's looked more decisive. He's looked better with his skating. I think we've seen far fewer mistakes in the defensive zone. He just looks like an assertive presence back there. And he's also been chipping in points at a pretty impressive rate during this streak. He seems much more confident pushing up in the rush and contributing offensively. And this is the player that the Rangers want. This is the player that the Rangers thought they were getting when they inked him to that seven-year deal a few years ago, and getting him to play at that level is big. His partner right now, Keandre Miller, he had a great game on Sunday against the Predators with four points in the first period alone. He had a shaky end of the game on Tuesday against 
Carolina. So you'd like to see both of those guys get to their top level because that gives the Rangers a 1A and 1B pairing that can match up with almost anyone in the league if those guys are at the top of their game because they're both so talented. But there's just a lot of things that have been going well for the Rangers in recent weeks. And oh, by the way, the Rangers also have Ryan Lindgren back now. So he was able to return after missing 11 games with that upper body injury. It's definitely... Sounds like something to do with that left arm, whether it's a shoulder or what have you. What we saw as this injury lingered and lingered and lingered was him slowly working his way back, practicing, but looking a little gingerly or unsure over the weekend before it was determined that he wouldn't play in either of those games. We saw him on the ice with Alexi Lafreniere, almost just working on pushing and shoving and kind of battling in the corner, clearly trying to see how that arm felt when he had to apply pressure or push off of somebody or get physical in a corner type of situation. The coaching staff was watching very closely as he did that. And Gerard Glant made an interesting comment after the game on Tuesday. Lindgren took a penalty toward the end of the second period and went right to the locker room. And everybody's thinking, oh, no. What's going on here? Did he come back too soon? Is the injury re-aggravated? He was back for his next shift. He really didn't miss any time at all. And Gallant said after the game, he's going to have occasional shooting pains. So make of that what you will, and that it's just something that they expect, and they're going to have to manage. Now, obviously, the coach said, it worries me, but the training staff apparently tells him that this is expected. It's not really something to worry about. And us all knowing Lindgren, the way that we do, you know it's going to take a whole lot to get this guy out of the lineup. He's willing to play through pretty much anything. So I don't think there's any risk of him missing Thursday night's game. Gallant said he will definitely play on Thursday night. But it is something to to be aware of, I guess, and to monitor. But with Lindgren back, now you've got him back with Adam Fox. You've got Truba and Miller, and now you're able to put Nico Mikola back down in the bottom pair where everybody expected him to play when they traded for him, where he's paired with Braden Schneider. And all of a sudden, this lineup that I know I've been jotting in my notebook since the trade deadline and tweeting, and I've seen all over social media from a lot of you guys, the lineup that everybody was dreaming about and envisioning, it's finally whole. It's finally in place. The forward lines have been settled now for over a week. They didn't have the best overall showing on Tuesday, especially that top line of Panarin, Zabanajad, and Tarasenko. Natural stat trick had them being outshot 13-5 to while they were on the ice. So definitely a little bit of a step back for that line on Tuesday night. But they all practiced together again on Wednesday. Gallant has been pretty patient since he put these together. And these seem to be the combinations that they want to roll with. So... The lines have kind of fallen into place, at least for now. The D pairs have fallen into place. Everybody's healthy. You got to knock on wood. But this is the team that the Rangers want to go to war with. And this is a team that, again, when you write it down in your notebook or you tweet it out, on paper it looks great. And what we saw on the ice last week looked really, really good. So you got to feel really good overall about where this team is at with 11 games remaining on the schedule. It's hard to see them 
jumping to first place now. Had they beaten Carolina on Tuesday and then also went and won on Thursday, I think the story would have been much different. But at the moment, they're eight points behind the Hurricanes with 11 games to play. And I believe the Hurricanes have two games in hand as well. So it would be a really tall order for them to chase down the Hurricanes for first place in the division. But honestly, I don't think that's much of a concern for them. It certainly is not for Gerard Gallant. We've asked him about this a few different ways in the past couple days. And I don't get the sense that he's attacking wanting first or second place with a whole lot of urgency. He did say today he certainly wants to avoid those wild card spots, which are getting more competitive now. The Islanders have moved into seventh place, and the Florida Panthers have actually leapfrogged the Pittsburgh Penguins for eighth place. So that's all going to be interesting to watch. And you don't want to mess around with those spots because you certainly don't want to mess around with the possibility of seeing Boston anytime before the Eastern Conference final. So as long as the Rangers can avoid that, which comfortably it looks like they can and will, I think they're fine with whether it's first, second, or third place. If they're in second place, chances are they're going to play the Devils. And honestly, you'd like home ice, but how much of a difference is that really going to make? We saw the Rangers go into Carolina last year in a Game 7 situation and win that game handily. And it's not like going to Jersey requires a whole lot of travel or hotel stays or anything like that. So for the Rangers, these next few weeks, more so than worrying about where they are in the standings, it's about building chemistry which, again, they made huge strides toward accomplishing that goal last week, but you want to see that continue. They got to continue to feel good about the way that they play. Obviously, Gallant wasn't thrilled with what he saw on Tuesday night, questioning their compete level and all that kind of stuff. So you want to feel like you're building momentum and you're playing the right way and you're shaping your identity, all those kind of things. And this last point we really need to underline, you want to stay healthy, you want to keep this ideal lineup intact, and ready to go for the playoffs, and you want to keep the players as fresh as possible. Obviously, that's going to be somewhat difficult because of the roster or the inflexibility that they have on the roster right now with only 21 men. They just have the one extra defenseman in Ben Harper, and that's it. So maybe you can pick a spot if a guy really needs a breather to go 11-7. and I think, ideally, you would find spots down the stretch to maybe give Fox a night off maybe give Truba a night off, maybe even give Lindgren a night off if you feel like that injury is acting up. But other than that, just scaling back the minutes, and we've seen Gerard Glant do this. He's rolling all four lines fairly equally right now. And he noted this the other day, that while he, he knows that Panarin and Zabanajad and Kane and, and those top players, they'd like to play 20-plus minutes a night. And, of course, as a coach, you want to give them that. But it's also the prudent wise move to try to keep them in that 15, 16 minute per night range as much as you can in these last 11 games. Obviously, it's not going to happen every night, but I think the more the Rangers can do that, the more they can give these guys little breathers here and there, shave a few minutes here and there to keep them as fresh as possible going into the playoffs. That's an important thing for the Rangers to concentrate on right now. In my opinion, more important than it would be to, let's say, get into second place. As long as you're in the top three in that division, I think you're going to be okay. And I think you go into the playoffs and you take your chances because I'm not even sold right now that it would be better to play Carolina or or it would be better to play Jersey. Both are tough opponents, but I also think the Rangers can beat both of those teams. So that's where they're at right now. Overall, again, 
Got to feel really, really good about where they're at. That 4-0 week was just what the doctor ordered. And now we've seen what this team is capable of. We've seen not just glimpses. We've seen fairly complete efforts where they dominated an opponent and you're able to sit back and say, okay, this is what Chris Drury had in mind when he pulled off all these trades and we'll take our chances against pretty much anybody once the playoffs roll around. So that's where we're at with the Rangers right now. And now it's time to pivot. We're going to get to our interview with Michelle. And then after we talk to Michelle, I'll be back as always, as we do every week to answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome into the show a voice that will be familiar for many of you. You've seen her on the MSG broadcast. You've seen her in between the boards. You've seen her in the locker room. That would be Michelle Jingris. She helps cover the Rangers for MSG Networks. And I've been wanting to have her on for a while and glad we're able finally to do it today. So, Michelle, how are you doing? I am great, Vince. Thank you so much for having me. I am a big fan of the show. In fact, when I first started covering the Rangers a few years ago, which was like in the COVID pandemic, um, your podcast was one of the ones that I listened to, to just try to familiarize myself a little bit. Um, and we've talked about that you and I before just the last couple of years and how different it was covering the team then as opposed to now. So early on, just trying to learn the nuances of different players and understand, you know, from someone who had been covering them for a little while, uh, your podcast was one that was on the list. So I'm glad that I am finally, I finally get to be a guest. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear you were listening. I, yeah. hope, I, I hope I didn't bore you to death at any point, but uh, nope, all good. I'm still coming back for more. <laughs> all right. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Well, you know, I got a few things I want to ask you about, but you just touched on, on, I think what could be an interesting conversation right off the top is you started this job while COVID was going on. And so what was that like for you? Because the importance of your job of being able to talk to players, whether it's in between periods, after games, a lot of times emotions are running high. It's important to build some kind of rapport and relationship. But with the COVID restrictions, it made that all much more difficult. So what was it like for you adjusting to a new team and a new position while all of that was going on? Yeah, I mean, that was a whole new challenge. Um, obviously, during COVID, everyone kind of faced those challenges as well. I mean, you remember the the Zoom press conferences that we did, um, empty arenas. Uh, it was very eerie at first. I remember just, you know, how you could hear everything on the ice. Um, that to me was so strange. Uh, I guess like when it started, yeah, it was definitely a challenge. I mean, you, you just nailed it. Like, relationships are so important in this industry and and just with when you're trying to create those relationships gain trust from players um help them know that like you're com- you know make them feel comfortable talking to you all of that and with covid um i was across the arena we would actually look at two different cameras i wore a mask so the players like couldn't even see me they were on the bench i was literally across like at a table that doesn't even exist anymore. That was just where they had me is like the little perch for that season. And I would look to one camera at one side of the rink. They would look to a camera at the other side of the rink. Um, and we would, I would ask them three questions and, and they were great. Honestly, like it was really hard to, I think, kind of get past a lot of those surfacey level um, questions when I first started because they just didn't know who I was. They didn't know where to look. It was just very different. And we didn't have practices to go to. Uh, so literally it was just kind of this new person that they had never really 
associated with before trying to get to know them and ask those questions in the intermissions and things like that. And then also um, in the COVID year, this might be in the weeds a little bit, but there was like one broadcast basically for each game, essentially. So I would not only interview Rangers players, but I would also interview whoever the other team was. So like the Penguins come in town, you're interviewing a Rangers player in the first intermission, but then for the Penguins broadcast back home, we're interviewing Sidney Crosby in the second intermission. So it was like a lot of back and forth between different teams. All right. Apologies, everybody. We had a brief little technical glitch there, but I think it's hopefully sorted out. Fingers crossed. So let's pick back up where we <laughs> left off. And sure. I, I guess where we can kind of transition, because we talked about your start at MSG and, and everything that we were going through at the time with COVID going on and, and how that kind of made things more difficult. But your your journey here in the first place. Now, I know you spent some time covering the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm curious about, you know, how you got into hockey and what the journey was for you that led you to New York and led you to MSG and the Rangers. Yeah, sure. So I um, actually started my career in San Diego out of school. Um, I was right in that era of like when digital reporters were becoming a thing, you know, like um, newspapers were looking to, to kind of uh, increase their online traffic and to incorporate video. And I kind of graduated right when that was becoming a popular thing. So the first job I had was with the San Diego Union Tribune and I was a digital sports reporter for them. So I would do stuff for um, the website, like digital videos and things like that. And then also we had a cable news station. So I would do uh, like sports reports and some morning show work and things like that for them. Um, Covered predominantly the Padres when I was there. I covered some San Diego State men's football um, and basketball little bit of women's basketball as well, some high school sports. It was a really good, I mean, I was so young. I was, I was right out of school, like I said. So it was a really big market to start in, which was uh, good in a lot of ways, but also like very intimidating. I think when you're that young, trying to uh, find yourself and establish yourself in, in such a seasoned uh, market, but great sports town, loved living in San Diego was really, was a really great experience for me. And from there, I, as you mentioned, um, got a job with Tampa Bay Lightning. I started uh, working for their TampaBayLightning.com as their like hockey web reporter. I did that for like a year, year and a half. And then um, it wasn't called Fox Sports Florida at the time. I can't remember what it was before it was Fox Sports Florida, but um, they had an opening to basically sidelines as well. Um, So I did kind of like a hybrid role for the remainder of the three years that I was in Tampa. And that was just doing both online work with TampaBayLightning.com and then also um, sideline work for Fox Sports Florida. And that was awesome. That was my first kind of, you know, experience covering hockey at all. And even having grown up in Tampa, um, you know, it's no big secret that it wasn't always the hockey town that it now is. <laughs> um, yep, yep. Uh, a lot of people, you know, grew up watching the Buccaneers and it was a big football area. It still is a big football city as well. But now, I mean, that city is just so, I mean, they just love the lightning. It's, it's incredible to see. So it was really fun to cover them when I was there. They went to the Stanley Cup final against the Blackhawks. They lost there and then they went the next year to the Eastern Conference final. 
Um, and the first year I was there, I think they got knocked out in the first round by the Canadians. I'm trying to remember, but just an awesome experience to get to cover a team that was really building for, you know, obviously the dynasty that then, you know, they, they've kind of formed since then, but that those were like the beginning years of it where they were really putting the pieces together and you're looking at these players and, and just knowing that the, the potential is there. The future is so bright for them. Um, so that was a really, really great experience. And then I came to New York um, for a few different reasons. You know, I was, I had grown up in Tampa and I, I kind of just felt like I was ready for something different. Um, I had never really thought I was going to end up working in Tampa again. And it was such an incredible experience. I'm so glad that I got to go back there because I got to, you know, be with my parents as kind of more of an adult as opposed to just a child growing up and living mm -hmm. under their roof. So that was that was fun. Um, and to be reunited with friends and stuff and, and to have that be part of my career. Um, but there was a, a network that was starting in New York and they were a digital network and it was a it was a startup kind of company, but with a lot of potential. Um and there were a couple other offers as well in other places. And, and I just was kind of ready to move on. And my boyfriend at the time lived in New York and it just kind of felt like it was the right opportunity to come here. And I came here and I started working for this startup and within three months they went bankrupt. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was the New York dream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that was definitely a very challenging time. And I was taking meetings around, you know, just begging anyone at the time to just, you know, meet with me, look at my reel, see, you know, if there's any potential fits anywhere. And MSG was one of the places that I met with. And, you know, I had always really admired MSG when they had come to Tampa. And, you know, when I had seen the network with the Rangers or whether it be with the devils or whatever, like, I just really always like, I don't know what it was Vince. And it sounds, it's so funny to tell that story, but like, I just always had this feeling like I really want to work for them someday. And I didn't know how it would ever happen. I didn't even know at the time if I would live in New York or where, but, um, I took that meeting and then I kind of, you know, just, just tried to keep in touch with them. They didn't have anything at the time. And I ended up getting an offer to cover college football for a season um, with BN Sports, which is predominantly a sports, uh, I'm sorry, a soccer network, but they were, they had a deal with um, Conference USA football and they needed a sideline reporter. So I took that. And then when that job ended, uh, MSG had an opening with the Red Bulls and I had never covered soccer before, um, but I had always been very sporty growing up. I played basketball my entire life and just really, I played a lot of sports up until I kind of focused on basketball and, um, I thought I could handle it and I got the job and I covered the Red Bulls for five years for the network. And that was a great opportunity. And that kind of opened the door to the Rangers opportunity as well, um, in that COVID year and then just going forward. So that's a long winded story about how I <laughs> got into this and how I ended up where I am today. Um, but that's been kind of the trajectory for me so far. Well, and now you're in the middle of it. You're here when the Rangers are very much on the upswing, look, you know, thinking about Stanley cups, thinking about playoffs and all that kind of stuff. So it's an exciting time to be around the team. And there's also, I I've gotten to know a whole bunch of them in the last few years myself. There's some very interesting characters and personalities that cover the Rangers for MSG as well. Whether you're talking about Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti, yes. who are like yes. two of the most genuinely nice guys you'll ever meet. 
I've gotten, you know, I've gotten pretty friendly with Valley, who's who's been on the podcast before and is just a great guy and a great resource and such a, you know, a hockey the, such he's so immersed in all kinds of whether it's stats or whatever it is. So he he's I mean, there, there's just a lot of cool personalities. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure for you kind of becoming part of that family has been pretty neat as well. Oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> like, I really do. And it was so strange. Like, like I said, that first year, because like they're they're probably like, who's this girl all of a sudden who's here? It's the covid year. Like we were allowed to be in the arenas um, and we would actually eat dinner together like in this room where we were still all kind of trying to say like six feet apart you know um before the game but they had no idea who I was and and you're trying to to get to know them but it was just under such different circumstances and I think um you know we all kind of got through that first year but yeah I mean walking I knew what what I was walking into just from the standpoint of who Sam and Joe are and what they mean to fans and Valley, Dave, John, all of them. I mean, it's such a, for me, it's, it's a dream job in so many ways because it's just an elite broadcast team and they're so good at what they do. And I was very hyper aware of that kind of going into this job. Um, And I just was a sponge. And I think at first they weren't sure like why I was asking so many questions, but I wanted to learn everything I could. That's just how I've always been able to do jobs that I maybe didn't in the beginning have a lot of familiarity with. I just, I really try to lean on people that I feel like have a lot of knowledge to offer, um, especially at least in the beginning. And so I did that a lot with them a couple of years ago, just to learn different nuances, kind of similarly, like to listening to all the podcasts and stuff. Like I wanted to truly learn about these players, who they were, um, you know, their personalities, certain unique things about them, because I think that's what makes me good at what I do is I really like to, aside from the X's and O's, like I want to know about who the guy is off the ice. I want to know about that because that translates, I feel like to who they are in the room. I feel like that translates to how they carry themselves, you know, uh, when they're on the ice or, or if they're at practice or if they're in meetings or whatever. So it was important for me to kind of get to know that from their perspectives as well. And they've just been so, so welcoming to me. I mean, when Charlie was born, literally we're in the hospital and they're giving him a shout out on TV. And it's, it's like little things like that. You know, they'll, they do things like they, um, when I do an interview, it's, it's little things, but when I do an interview with a player coming out of the intermission, um, Joe will be the first person to say, yeah, Michelle spoke with Tyler Mott. You know, he said a really great thing about this and that and that. So it's like little acknowledgements and things that really do mean a lot and make you feel like you're part of it. Dave Maloney is incredible. He is, I just love him. I adore him. He's such a great person and has such great insight as a former player. Um, And sometimes when I'm like in the, in the studio and I'm like, okay, should I ask the question like this? Do you think this makes sense? He's like, Michelle, keep it simple. Like this guy, just keep it simple to like be direct. And it's a, it's a good reminder though, because, and that's, what's so unique is like you work with journalists, but then you also work with, with these former players who are now turned, turned journalists and, and broadcasters and to get their perspective on the best way to get, you know, the best sort of answer and things. So yeah, they're all amazing. I love Valley as well. I mean, I think Valley just brings such great, digestible information to the broadcast where he can 
make it relatable for just, you know, you can be a diehard fan, but you could also be a casual fan and you can learn something from him. I feel like every game. So yeah, it's been really cool. Honestly, like I, I'm not exaggerating at all when I say it's like a dream to work with these guys. They're, they're just amazing. You touched on something that kind of fascinates me because I think, you know, and maybe it's just because I'm involved that I'm interested in it. Hopefully the listeners will have some interest in it as well. But for you, you know, your job is to talk to guys with the cameras rolling. It's usually live. It's on the mm-hmm. spot. And you you want to make things, as you touched on, digestible, relatable. You want to be able to reach even the casual fans who are just watching the game at home. So whereas I might come into something as a writer and have a very specific topic in mind that I want to dive deep on and I want to go into all these different layers of, of how things work on the power play or what you were thinking mm-hmm. in the moment, that might not always work for you. You know, for you, what you're trying to do is, is I'm sure – you know, come up with some good sound bites, come up with some stuff that will interest people during a quick interview that they're watching for two or three minutes at home in between yeah. periods. So, so how would you kind of describe that dynamic and, and what it is that you're sort of looking for when you do some of these interviews that we see every game? Yeah. I mean, I think I try to meet fans in the middle, kind of like what you just mentioned, like you, you want to be able to cater to those fans that are super passionate and they know a lot about the X's and O's of the game, but you also want to cater to the fans that might just be tuning in and wanting to know a little bit more about a certain player. And I think it kind of varies between, you know, whether or not, um, you know, pregame those bench hits that I do sometimes lend themselves to broader questions or more overarching themes of, you know, they were like, for example, coming into last game, riding a five game win streak, you know, you can kind of touch on that. Whereas in the first or second intermission, you wouldn't even bring that up anymore because it's old news and you're focused on the game at that point. Um, Different things like uh, I had Tyler Mott in the first intermission. So, you know, that line has obviously been rolling. That fourth line has been so great. So a question that you can ask him that isn't just game related, but also uh, I guess just the theme for them is just what's made that line work so well. What is it about their dynamic that clicked so quickly? And so that's kind of like, you know, how it differs from maybe like a first intermission where I'm watching the period trying to figure out, okay, what did they think of knowing what they said prior to the game about how they wanted to start? Okay. Did they follow those things that they said they wanted to do well? Um, Other things like, you know, just did they defend what, you know, you're always just looking for little, little bits kind of to, um, to start with. And then, and then I just listen to their answers. And if he gives me something that I can follow up with, then I follow up with it. And if not, then maybe I've got another question. That's something like, about the line or something that is about the last few games that they've worked on. Um, but to your point, yeah, it's, it's definitely more, it's quick, you know, um, the cameras are on, they come into that studio to, to do the interviews. They sit down with me. So that's why like I've talked just even mentioning just the relationship part of it is so important because you want them to feel as comfortable as you can doing a live on camera interview with lights in your face and you just got off the ice and, and all of that. And so, um, that part of the job, I feel like is, is really important as well. Just making sure they know that I'm going to be personable. I'm going to try to find the silver lining and that 
I'm, I'm happy that they're there to do those interviews um, and to kind of contribute to our broadcasts in that capacity. So it kind of changes, like I said, from, you know, whatever's going on with the game. Um, if they're losing, if they're winning, you know, what the mood is, what the tone is overall. And I try to gauge that and then kind of formulate my questions that way. Yeah. People probably don't realize how difficult that is because you're talking to these guys in a moment when nobody else really talks to them. It's in between periods. Emotions are running high. Their mind is probably racing with all of these different things that they're thinking about what just happened, what they want to do in the period to come. And, 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 you know, for those couple minutes, it's it's trying to hone in and focus on whatever you're going to talk about, knowing that they also want to get into the locker room and probably yeah. discuss things with coaches and teammates too. So it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. I, I, another thing that I find really interesting, I'd love to do this, is you, I, I believe you've done this, right? Where you get to watch the game sometime from in between the benches. Oh yeah. So I haven't done the, I haven't watched the game in between the benches because Dave Maloney usually yeah, does that okay, okay. or John, but, but I do watch, you know, and I mean, that's a whole nother, I, I always love listening to Dave come off the ice because he's always got a comment about, you know, the last couple of games, especially like when they opened up, uh, you know, against Pittsburgh and then, and then again, another, another huge shutout. And then even last game, like just even the differences that they were, talking about you know he that he sees that he notices on the ice you know when it's chippy like what he notices from the players the things he hears um the conversations all of that yeah I mean it's like to be a fly on the wall in that position is it's such a cool unique aspect to have and, and perspective to get to bring um so even yeah last night he was he came off the ice and he just said like wow that was a fast period and like you know it, it that but I use that so I'm like okay I I saw that on the ice just watching from the tv but for him to kind of reaffirm that it, it made me think okay that's something that I can go with and I can ask the player about it but you hit you really hit on it like with the emotions and stuff like sometimes it's as simple as like okay what happened out there what did you like what do you want to do better because you are you're trying to get them to pause for a second and give you something reflect but they're kind of reflecting in real time um which is really cool when it happens, but um, you're also, like I said, trying to be cognizant of the fact that they want to get into the room too. So it's an interesting little dynamic for sure, but it's been really fun. It's been a really fun season. Yeah. You know, that sounds similar to what we, I've had Emily Kaplan from ESPN on as well. And she does the same thing, those in between mm -hmm. period interviews. And she's talked about a lot of times you, you want to keep it simple and you want to just give the players a moment to reflect and, and you don't need to burden them necessarily with a really, you know, deep or long winded question, just kind of throw it out there and see what they have to say, you know, and, exactly. and that might be some of the best stuff you get. Exactly. And I think too, it's, it's another thing that's interesting um, is oftentimes like we, I won't usually know who it is that I want to talk to or who who I'm going to speak to until like a few minutes before the period ends. So when you're trying to plan for multiple players, right, like there could be a chance that you get one guy, but maybe maybe a perfect example. OK, maybe you're going to you think you're going to get Jacob Truba, but you end up getting uh god i don't know a forward instead and you're you're trying to then switch in your brain okay there's certain questions that i would ask jacob truba about maybe defense or your partner or whatever that i wouldn't ask uh mika zabanishad so and it's it's trying to i guess when you're doing that you're so you're watching the game you're also thinking okay could i talk to this guy i could talk to this guy 
Vincent Trocek, you know, I knew last night, for example, like obviously facing a former team, he was one goal away from 20 goals like there's So I always have like two or three guys that I think, okay, let's ask for him first. Let's see what happens. If they say no, then we can go to him. And you kind of plan that way. Now it worked out nicely. Like Tyler Mott scores the goal. We go with the goal scorer. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit of like, you know, what she mentioned with what Emily said as well. Like you want to be sometimes I think we get really caught up in our own heads about wanting to ask like the perfect question. And sometimes it's just the simple little what happens that gives you the greatest bite, you know? Yeah, especially, you know, depending on like as you get to know the players more, you know, which guy, if you throw a reflective question out there like that, which guy is going to really probably go in deep and which guy, you know, you might want to give a question that's a little more specific to. So that's another that's another part of it as well. Michelle, one of the last things I want to ask you before I let you get out, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, you know, like I was (laughs) even like thinking about, you know, some of the things that I know I've talked to Dave about what he hears in between the benches. Like you can't repeat that. (laughs) I know a lot Mm -hmm. of the time, but like. Whether it's something that's happened behind the scenes with players or with the broadcast team or just something that you've witnessed that that has been cool for you to be a part of at Madison Square Garden, you know, a a big game, obviously a lot of playoff moments last year. Like, are there any moments or stories or like little insights that you think the fans would like to hear that are some of your favorites since since you've been around the team? Oh, man. Um, Yeah. I think for me, like one of the coolest moments and nights was Hank's retirement night. I mean, to kind of be up close and personal for that, to see the behind the scenes work that went into it, to just see, you know, um, to watch Sam's preparation before he went out there to deliver the speech and um, to, to do interviews with all of like, we had like Ryan Callahan, Dan Girardi, Kevin Weeks, um, we had a lot of fun that day and I got to do interviews with all of them and it was in front of fans in the Hulu theater. And it was just really special to see um, the passion and the, the love for, for Hank, not just as a player, but what he meant to New York in general. Um, That was a really, really like, that's something I'll never forget in my career. That was like, so cool. That was cool. Isn't even the right word. It was just incredible um, to watch that banner be raised to, how loud it was in there. I mean, it was just, it was spectacular. Um, I guess they, like, they, they really did that. Like they, they oh, everything that they did with that night was, was done to the T and obviously he's beloved in this town and beloved by Rangers fans. And, and you were right in the middle of it. So yeah, I would imagine that must've been really cool to experience. Yeah, that was, that was so special. And I, I guess I just, I mean, with, with Sam and Joe and, and Dave and, you know, we meet every game before to have our meetings. And, and I just like, it's not so much a secret, but they're just so prepared, like, but they deliver as if they're so like, they're just having a conversation with you. And it's, it's really, I mean, that's just such a gift as a broadcasting pair to, to be so relatable and able to connect with fans the way they do and to watch Sam's preparation before the game. And, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's not really like an inside story. It's just an observation that I've, you know, had over the past couple of seasons, but um, I don't know. You're going to have to ask me that one again, if there's any other 
funny yeah, stories. No, I can't no, think of anything. No, but those, there definitely those, are. <laughs> yeah, but those are those are good stories too. And and I've touched on it before because we've had both Sam and Joe on the show. So I've talked about you know getting to know them and that kind of stuff. But we 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 poke fun at Sam a little bit because in these press conferences, like on a practice day, he doesn't necessarily have to be there, but he's he's always there and taking notes and, and vigorous notes. And we joke mm-hmm. with him a little bit about it, but. He is so into it. He's so passionate about it. Same thing, it. With, same thing with Joe. And and they're also just such like for me from the start, and I'm sure you had the same experience coming onto a new beat, being at the time I was like the youngest guy in the room. And, you know, you're trying to feel things out and you're trying to figure out the best way to do this job and to have them just come over and ask you about yourself or try to make you feel comfortable or remember these little things about your family or whatever. I mean, it's just, it it just really, really helps. I'm sure you felt the same way when you're coming into a new job. It really helps make you feel at home. And, And those guys have been so good to me. And I know they've been so good to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. You froze at the end there, but yes, I agree with everything that you just said. It they <laughs> it it and that's the biggest difference. I mean, it, to come in that first year um in the covid year and then in the second year I was pregnant. And so then I was that's a whole different kind of challenge that you're trying to navigate just a pregnancy while doing your job and I think if I if they hadn't been as kind and welcoming and um just amazing as they are it it would have been really difficult and instead it's been such a pleasure to work with them so yeah it nothing but love for all of them next time we'll have to do an episode on trying to navigate these jobs while having a with newborn. children <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that would that would spark a whole yes. other conversation i know yes. you got, i know you got the little guy waking up from a nap soon so i'm gonna let you go but michelle thank, thank you so much you. this was fun i'm glad we got to do it happy to do it vince thanks so much for having me And we're back. Thanks again to Michelle for taking some time to come on the show. I know she was working around her son's nap schedule, and that can be tricky, but it worked out just fine, it seems like. I think he was waking up right after we finished the call, so pretty good timing there. And I hope you guys felt like you got to know Michelle a little bit more there. She's a really nice person, got to know her a little bit in the last couple years, and I think you see a lot of these people on TV and, you know, you probably have some kind of impression on them, but they're working and they're talking about hockey and very specific things. And the focus is so often on the players. I'd like to think that whether it's Michelle or we've had Sam and Joe and Valley and Dave on this show, that when they come on here, you get to know them a little bit more and their personalities. And, you know, all these people, at least in my experience, have been very nice and pleasant to deal with. And and we all have good relationships around the rink and and joke with each other. And it just it makes for a fun working environment. And I think it's kind of cool to show you guys a little glimpse behind the scenes of that and pull back the curtain a little bit on how they got to these positions, too. As you heard Michelle talk about, you don't just necessarily land a position on TV like that right off the gate covering original six NHL team. You got to kind of work your way around and, and bounce around and move your family and do all kinds of crazy stuff to achieve your goals. But if you're willing to put in the hard work and the sacrifice and you have the skill and the talent and the work ethic and all that kind of stuff, then then you can make it happen. So pretty cool for her and definitely appreciate her time. Now let's get into this week's questions. 
And there was a topic that I was going to address on the top of the show, but I realized that we had questions coming in about it, so I saved it for now. And we'll start with this one from Cup of Coffee, who wrote, GG switched up the power play yesterday. Do we think that stays intact? I loved Zabanajad, Fox, Panarin, Kane, and Kreider with Zabanajad in his dangerous spot on the wing. They didn't score, but had some looks, I thought. Well, cup of coffee, I've got great news for you. That is exactly what the first power play unit looked like at Wednesday's practice, and the team spent a lot of time on the power play, probably more on that than anything else on Wednesday. So clearly this is an area that they're trying to put some work into and trying to get right. I asked Gerard Gallant about it after the practice, and he stressed how important special teams are in the playoffs. If you have a power play that feels like a threat, it's not going to score every time, obviously, but at least feels like a threat every time they take the ice, that can really make a big difference in a playoff series. And obviously, if they can chip in goals and timely spots, that can reverse the result of a game or completely change the outcome of a series. So you want to be able to cash in on those opportunities. The Rangers were so good at that last year. It hasn't been as consistent this year. I want to look it up. I believe the Rangers are around 23% right now. And I think they're kind of in the middle of the pack as far as the rest of the league goes. Let me see right here. They're ninth right now. They're ninth in the league. So they're top 10. They've definitely improved. There was a while where they slipped back to like 15th, 16th, and they were struggling. It's been a little bit better of late, but still not as consistent as the Rangers want them. And as you all will remember, what they did a week or so ago was they sort of tried to divide the two units equally. Instead of stacking their very best players on the top unit, which is what they've typically done and is what most NHL teams typically do, they had Panarin on one unit, Zabanajad on another. They had Kreider on one unit and Fox on another. So they were kind of dispersing these guys more evenly, and Gerard Glant did seem to really be trying to divide the ice time pretty equally, trying to get each unit about a minute for every power play. But, and I know some of you raised this point, and it's a valid one on previous episodes, you don't want to feel like you don't have all of your best guys out there in a big spot. And as you inch toward the playoffs, as much as having two really good units feels like a good idea, you want to be able to say, okay, who are our five best guys and how can they alter a game or change momentum in a big moment? And that's what I believe the Rangers are trying to do now, and I do think that ultimately it's the right move. The old saying, if you don't have one of these things, if you have two or three, then you really don't have one. So I, I think that is kind of the situation that the Rangers were feeling like they were in. And any top unit, as much talent as the Rangers have overall, any top unit that doesn't have Kreider at the net front and Fox at the point is not really a top unit. And any unit in my mind that doesn't have both Zabanajat and Panarin, who have both been such great power play players throughout their career, also isn't really a top unit. So getting those four 
who have had great chemistry in the last three, four years together, getting those four on the top unit needs to happen. Those guys have clicked at a very high level in the not-so-distant past, and you have to believe that they'll be able to rekindle that. The fifth spot is interesting, but I think Kane makes sense for a few reasons. Number one, he gives you a left-handed shot, which you know you need on that unit to add a little balance because otherwise Kreider is the only lefty and he's at the net front anyway, so it's not like he's a one-timer threat. And Kane, as far as his vision and his passing ability and his skill, as good as Tarasenko is, Kane is considered one of the most skillful players in the entire league and has had a little bit more success if you look at the track record in his career on the power play than Tarasenko has. It had to probably come down to one of those two guys, but I think Kane makes sense, and it also gives him a chance to hook up with Panarin, at least in in one situation, because you know right now they're not on the same line together, which I think is is the right call for now. But at least those guys can revert back to some of their playmaking ways while playing together on the power play. So it makes sense. Here's what's interesting to me in watching how they were working in the third period when they first got put together on Tuesday and then again today at practice. Usually what we've seen the Rangers do and what most teams do is they have a guy at the point, a guy at the net front. You've got a guy at each circle or each half wall, so one on the left side and one on the right, and then you've got somebody in the bumper. What the Rangers are doing right now is not really having a bumper guy on that unit. Kane is working mostly down near the goal line, and Panarin is coming up a little bit higher than usual. It's almost like the Rangers have two point guys. They kind of have Fox on the left and Panarin on the right, although Panarin's a little closer to the wall than Fox is. And then you've got Kane working down low on that right side along the goal line. So it's leaving the middle of the ice a little bit more open. You've still got Kreider at the net front, but that high slot area isn't really occupied. But I think that's because the Rangers feel like if the priority is to keep Mika on the left circle where he's so good with that one-timer, the rest of the guys, meaning Panarin and Kane, don't really fit in the bumper spot. Typically, a bumper guy is going to be, I don't want to call him a garbage man, but that's going to be a guy who's fighting through traffic, usually a little bit of a bigger body, has to do a little bit more of the dirty work. That is not Panarin and Kane's game. Their game is being able to see the ice and being able to make plays. And by giving them more space to work with, I think that is the goal that the Rangers have in mind here. And, and what you've also seen, and Gallant touched on this a little bit after practice today, is they don't want them being stagnant. They want some movement involved as well. You might see those guys switch places over the course of a shift on a power play. So I think that movement is going to be key. And... I think making sure defenses aren't only looking at Mika and only cheating toward that side is key. So you do want to see Kane pop out sometimes and use that left-handed shot. But personnel-wise, it seems like those five are your best options. You just have to now make them fit. And again, four of those five have worked really well together. It's a matter of where does Kane fit and how quickly can he get to learn tendencies and get comfortable with those guys. But This, I think, is going to be the unit you're going to see for the foreseeable future. It's the unit that we envisioned when they first traded for Kane. And with 11 games remaining in the season, 
I think the Rangers need to give these guys some time to work out the kinks, build some momentum, and then hopefully be rolling by the time the playoffs start. Because again, with all the talent the Rangers have, they need to have a top-level power play by the time the playoffs start. And being able to cash in in those situations will be huge if they can become the unit that we think they can become by the time the playoffs roll around. And what's that? what that has left them is a second unit, which I think we're going to go back to a situation now where that second unit is maybe getting 30 seconds or so on a two-minute power play. And that has Truba at the point. I still kind of think I might rather see Keandre Miller there, but Truba is working at the point from what we saw at practice with Tarasenko, Trocek, Heedle, and Lafreniere. Kako kind of still remains the odd man out, but you could see him pop back in for a shift here or there, or if one guy, you know, isn't clicking or whatever it might be. But the priority seems to be establishing a true top unit and doing it with those horses, those power play specialists that the Rangers have and putting them all on the top unit. You felt like it was a matter of time before they did it again. And now here we are. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from, DeSam, I think I'm saying that right, D-E-S-S-A-M, DeSam, who writes, even though both lines did get the two goals Tuesday, do you think the kid line is getting lost in the shuffle, especially now with this heated up fourth line and very potent top six we have? This is a pretty good question. It's a topic I tried to address in a story that I wrote last week, but I think it's an ongoing point of emphasis for the Rangers. The top six during that four-game winning streak was lighting up the scoreboard. All six of those guys were really racking up points, playing at a pretty good level, looked like they were clicking. And so you kind of aren't too surprised that Gerard Gallant was leaning a little more heavily on them. And I think in the playoffs, that is going to be the case. We've talked I don't know, a billion times about the ice time and that debate when it comes to the kids. You'd like to see the kids ideally get 14, 15, 16 minutes a night. I don't think realistically that's always going to happen now that they've brought in Kane and they brought in Tarasenko. But as we heard Jeff Merrick bring up when he was on the show a couple weeks ago, and I wholeheartedly agree We've also seen what an X factor that kid line can be for the Rangers in the playoffs, especially when they're matched up against other teams' third lines. Because on paper, how many other NHL teams have a third line with the kind of talent that the Rangers are able to throw out there with Kako, Lafreniere, and Heedle? So getting those guys rolling is an important part of this equation. Now, are you going to have everybody clicking at the same time always? That's probably asking too much. But we've seen, not just last year in the playoffs, but also earlier this year, that those kids can be a real difference maker. There was a stretch before all these trades were made when I thought the kid line was the Rangers' best line for a couple weeks. So we've seen them play at a fairly high level. It's dipped since then. I think there have been some signs recently that they're getting back on track. It hasn't quite been at the level where it was in the past, but maybe getting back toward that. 
Philip Hedo was in a slump as far as goal scoring is concerned. He went 18 games without a goal. Now, it's crazy to think, but right out of the All-Star break, when Hedo was scoring what felt like every single game, we were talking about, is this guy going to get 30 or more goals this season? Then he went 18 straight games without a goal and didn't get number 20 till over the weekend. So finally he hit that 20-goal marker. Now 30 feels like a real stretch, obviously, with only 11 games to go. But he got that monkey off his back. It was definitely weighing on him. I, I spoke to him about this at length last week. Hedl is always a guy, when you talk about who puts in the extra work, who's on the ice late, that kind of stuff, he's always been one of those guys. But it's been even more noticeable recently. He is, I think, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but he is trying to work his way out of this. I asked him last week if he felt like he had run into a little bit of bad luck. He looked at me stone-faced serious and said, I don't believe in luck. I believe everything happens for a reason, and if things aren't going the way that you want them to go, there's probably something you can be doing better. And that is very much the vibe and the feeling that I'm getting from him right now. Once again today, I'm leaving the locker room after having spent 20, 30 minutes in there talking to various players after practice, and just then, who's coming off the ice as the last guy but Philip Heedle. So said hi to him quickly in passing, but he's clearly feeling like there's more in the tank and is working his butt off, I can tell you that, to try to make it happen. So it's not for lack of trying on Heedle's part, but it seems a little streaky with him. It just seems like there was a period where everything he touched turned to gold, and now it feels like he can barely buy a goal. So you're hoping that maybe that goal that he scored over the weekend, I think it was against Pittsburgh, if I'm remembering correctly. They're all kind of blending together, but that goal that he scored over the weekend starts to get him back on track. I thought the kid line definitely had some good shifts in that game. It might have been Nashville, I think, actually, where he scored. But it feels like, as you touched on, they've kind of become a secondary piece after those top two lines. And again, part of that you expect because of all of the star talent that the Rangers have at the top of their lineup. But you also do want to see the kids engaged and feeling like they're an important factor. Because I think that's part of this too. Confidence and how they feel about themselves is so important for, I think, the way that they play. I really believe for them more so maybe than some of the veteran guys, it translates on the ice that way. And when they're playing with that extra edge and that extra fire and they're contributing and they're feeling like they're an important part of every game – I feel like that's when you see them play at their best. That's why they were so good in the playoffs last year. And so for the Rangers to accomplish their ultimate goals, they're going to need all four lines to be rolling pretty well. They've got, I think, a great look of a lineup right now. All four of those lines look really good and have played really good at various points in the last week or so. But yeah, the kid line compared to the other three feels like there's more to get to. You know what I mean? There's, there's, something to unlock there for them. And that's something that you're hoping you'll see them do in these next few weeks. I I talked last point of this I'll make is I talked to Kako quickly today and he was kind of like, finally I got that goal number 13, which he scored at the end of the Carolina game on Tuesday. And I also got the sense from him that he's hoping maybe this gets him going a little bit. I think all those guys, it's hard for them not to think about where are my points at 
have they probably have certain goals in mind when the season starts about a number that they want to hit. And especially in the case of Kako and Lafreniere, they're not there right now. So I'm sure there's some level of disappointment with that. But I also think these guys have gotten better at fighting through that and not letting that get them too down. And that's part of the maturation process as well. So it's all development, maturation, whatever you want to call it. But it's all part of it for these guys who, yes, we still call them kids. And that's because they kind of are still kids. So we'll see where it goes with them. But to your larger point, yes, it does kind of feel a little bit like they've been lost in the shuffle, not quite playing at the level where they want to be. But they remain, in my opinion, a really important part of this team if they're going to have playoff success. All right, let's get to our final question, which comes from Greg Venuto, who asks, the team is skilled, but a bit short on depth and grit. How concerned should Rangers fans be? Greg, I'll disagree with you a little bit on the depth part of it. I think the depth of this lineup is the best that I've seen it in my time covering the team for sure. Now, if you want to talk about the fact that they only have a 21-man roster or if guys get injured, who steps in? Okay, that's probably more of a conversation that we can have. But the way the lineup looks right now, and the way that the lineup looks when everybody is healthy, I think there's plenty of depth right there. We've talked about the fourth line a bunch. Jimmy VC, Barclay Gaudreau, and Tyler Mott as a fourth line. It's one of the better fourth lines in the NHL, in my opinion. Gaudreau was on the third line on a Tampa Bay Stanley Cup winning team. VC has been a top nine guy throughout most of his career. These, these are quality players who have bought into their roles right now and are really becoming a difference maker for the Rangers. So the depth, I think, is there, again, as long as everybody's healthy. And that's not a given, I know. But the depth, for me, is there. The grit part is, I think, a conversation that gets interpreted differently depending on who you're talking to. I wrote about this in my column last week. To me, the people that are concerned with the lack of guys who will fight, oh, the Rangers don't have Ryan Reeves anymore, who's going to stand up to the other team in those kind of moments, who's willing to fight when it comes down to it, that stuff is all overrated to me. Even the guys that fight the most in the league, like look at Reeves, how many fights does he even have in a season? It's like four or five out of 82 games. That to me is not what grit is all about. It's not about just being a tough guy. What I believe and what I think of when I talk about grit, and this is what I think wins in the playoffs, is having a certain relentlessness to your game getting under your opponent's skin by forechecking your butt off, by digging pucks out of corners, by being physical, not just to be physical, not just chasing hits to take you out of the play and then leave your team vulnerable to odd man rushes going the other way, but being physical when there's a chance for you to actually win control of the puck. That's the kind of grit that I believe wins in the playoffs. And that means playing fast. That means being aggressive, being assertive. That means flying around the way that we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes playing on Tuesday night. It means that the second the defenseman on another team gets control of the puck, that they're worried about you bearing down on them, that they're getting jitters about making the right pass because they know that you're going to be flying around in front of them and trying to cut off passes and create turnovers and that kind of a thing. That is the grit that I believe has been a characteristic of pretty much every team 
that we've seen win probably ever, but definitely in recent memory. So it's that, it's that speed, it's that effort, it's that willing to do the dirty work, but the right kind of dirty work, getting to the net, causing traffic in front of the goalie, just in general, making life difficult on your opponents. That is what I believe the Rangers are going to need to buy into to win because they've loaded up on all this skill, all of these stars, all of these guys who have all these accolades and have racked up points throughout their careers, and that's great. That stuff is going to come in handy too, don't get me wrong. But the way that you see a guy like Tyler Mott play, look at what he's done in the last handful of games for the Rangers. He's got three goals in the last four games, and he scored those goals because he's picking guys' pockets, because he's playing so hard, because he's putting himself in the right positions and never taking his foot off the gas pedal. You can't expect every single guy in your lineup to do that, but you can expect the majority of your lineup to have at least some of those elements in their game. Anybody is capable of playing hard. So whether it's back-checking, forechecking, all this kind of stuff that we're talking about, the Rangers not, need not just their fourth line to do it. And their fourth line, I mean, their primary job is to do this kind of stuff. But we've seen Lafreniere show that he can do that kind of stuff. We've seen Hedl show that he can do that kind of stuff. Vincent Trocek is a guy who I think has a lot of these elements in his game and can be a, a quality playoff player for you because he plays with that edge. Mika Zibanejad is not necessarily a guy who you would say plays with an edge, but he's super committed to playing both sides of the ice, and we know how sound defensively he is. So you need all of these guys swarming their opponents, smothering their opponents, doing everything they can to play a well-rounded game. And again, it's about putting pressure on the team that you're playing against, forcing them into mistakes not making it easy for them to advance the puck off up the ice. That's really what it comes down to. If you can prevent them from advancing pucks easily and therefore getting offensive zone time, that's a winning formula. You want to make every inch that they move up the ice, they have to earn it. And that is what I think of when I think of grit. And that's what I think the Rangers are going to need to do. And we've seen them do it in spurts. We just want to see it consistently. They did it pretty well last week when they won those four games in a row. And you've seen even, you go back and you watch some of these highlights. I've seen some strong back checks from Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. And if you're getting those level of players to buy into playing that style, that to me is a winning formula. So I'm not about the fighting grit the unnecessary hits, grit, that kind of stuff. I'm about the in-your-face kind of grit. I'm about the playing as fast and relentless as you possibly can, exhausting yourself on every shift. That's the kind of grit that I think is going to help this team succeed. It's going to help any team succeed, but especially when you have added all the skill that the Rangers have had, you need to have these other elements to be a well-rounded team that can match up against the best teams in the league. Because some of the lesser teams in the league, you can surely outskill them and you don't necessarily have to do all this other stuff. And you could probably still find a way to win the game. But if you're in a seven-game series against Boston or Tampa or Colorado, you're going to need to get buy-in as far as this gritty, 
all-out effort style of play. You're going to need to match those teams and do everything you can to force them into mistakes and make their life difficult. So, so that's what I think of when I think of grit, and, and that's what I think we would like to see as much as possible out of the Rangers. And again, I think we're seeing signs that, that a lot of guys are buying into that, and that is definitely an encouraging thing. All right. With that, I am going to conclude this week's episode. I really appreciate Michelle for coming on the show. I really appreciate all of you guys for taking the time to submit your questions and listen. And again, big shout out and big thank you to James McCaffrey. James, I definitely owe you one. Let's get together. I'd like to cook you guys a dinner soon. Really appreciate you putting that track in. For everybody else, we'll have a new track next week. I've already got communication going with a couple different people just trying to make sure I have all my ducks in a row but I've got several more saved so we're going to keep that train rolling with the new tracks I will check in with you guys on Thursday from Carolina and of course I'll be back next week with a new episode until then take care and I will talk to you